0: Thank you for joining us. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Shigeru Iwakabe. He's got a PhD. He is a professor in the Department of Psychology at Ritsumeikan University in Osaka, Japan. Um, Dr. Iwakabe conducts psychotherapy research on client emotional processes from an integrative perspective. His research interests include training and professional development in psychotherapy, case study research methods, psychotherapy integration, and cultural and social issues related to the practice of psychotherapy. He has written several articles and he has also translated several major books on emotion-focused therapy into Japanese. Uh, Dr. Shigeru Iwakabe currently serves as a co-chair of research committee for the Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy, or AEDP, which I'm very interested in and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk with you about today, because I've never talked with anyone about AEDP and I've recently learned about it. So excited to talk about that, yeah. Um, And then last, so Dr. Iwakabe serves as a member of Executive Committee for Japanese Association of Clinical Psychology. And he's also a committee member of several psychological associations. Um, Dr. Iwakabe, thank you for joining me today and I'm excited to have you on.
1: Well, thank you so much for uh, inviting me to be on your show yeah it's
0: great to <laughs> meet you. you too you too it's, yeah. i've been very excited to speak with you for some time um uh, i i recently i was speaking with my wife about wanting to interview psychologists from different countries and um i lived in in japan for about 8 years and my plan was always to come to america to get my degree and then Try to go back to Japan, maybe as a contractor or something, and work and live back in Japan. so I'm excited to hear your experience and what it's like to be a psychologist in japan and
1: yeah yeah oh great uh, you know it'd be great to have you here
0: uh, yes, yes um yeah, if you don't mind, can we start uh can you can you tell us about where your interest in psychology first began like when, yeah. when you yeah
1: yeah yeah um i i was a, a university student in tokyo mm. i was studying economics economics oh. right because i guess that was what we were supposed to study if you're not in engineering which is was the most kind of you know um popular thing mm. at the time
2: mm.
1: and uh, you know i wasn't happy with uh, you know economics i mean it was mm. Back then, the Japanese economy was booming, Uh and it was something, you know, I wasn't that interested, but I just assumed that was something I should study. Mm. But as I I was studying, I wasn't interested in, um, you know, economics. But more than that, I was questioning the kind of the social climate back then, Mm. where you know, economic prosperity was believed to be something that would make you happy, mm. something that would make everyone happy. In order to do that, in order to achieve that, people just study, to go mm. to good schools, you know, get elite, elite schools and all that. And uh, you know, I really didn't like all that uh, sort of the hype about the economy, Hmm. the brand name stuff. And uh, I was working as a private tutor for the, you know, junior high school students and high school students and Hmm. other parents, you know, those kids who had the parents so eager to have their kids go to a good school. Uh And I, you know, I go to their house and I teach. I see how kids are kind of, you know, confused, suffering, but also uh, family relationships that were really not in a good shape. Mm. So I started getting into, um, like, really interested in psychology, Mm. the family relationship, I started reading, but back then the psychology was not really big in Japan, Uh so... And I was also questioning, you know, what's happening in Japanese society. And as a student, I traveled to U.S. or Europe, and I decided to go to study um, at Miguel University because back then I was also interested in brain. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, Montreal, uh, Miguel University, you know, is really known for that. Mm. You know, Dr. Pinkfield. Um, and haves and all these uh, neurophysiological psychologists. Uh-huh. Um, so I went there, but I just you know as soon as I arrived, I was not you know i really I realized I wasn't made for sort of experiment experimental psychology
2: uh-huh.
1: and I wanted to work with people. Mm. So I went to counseling department mm. and uh, completed my doctoral degree there
0: uh, in counseling
1: in counseling oh. psychology yes so that was how it started
0: oh, okay yeah. how, how old were you when you were let's say how old were you or what around what year was it when you were studying economics and going to the houses and then you started being interested uh, in psychology uh,
1: 1987 88 to 1991 Oh, okay. So I think, and I, you know, I went to Canada in 1991. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: And at that time, you said that psychology wasn't really big in Japan. Has that changed up till now? Is, is psychology more popular in Japan now?
1: I think so. I was in Canada until 2000. Oh, But around uh, um, 96, they started a, a, you know, sort of a first national. Um, kind of, uh, you know, the service system for uh, school counselors. Mm. Even though Japanese clinical psychologists are called clinical psychologists, Ah. the first public psychological service given by government was uh, given by uh, Ministry of Education. Mm. And it's a school psychology or school counseling program. Because uh-huh. there's a lot of bullying, uh, truancy, mm. the problems in schools mm. was uh, kind of the, you know, major kind of uh, social issue that brought psychology to the fore mm. in Japanese society.
3: Uh-huh. Yeah, Interesting.
1: So that establishment of that system really changed. So after 2000, Japanese psychology started to really grow. Oh, uh, okay rapidly
0: Mm. so it was in 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 2000 is that when you returned to japan yes so you returned right as it was pretty much growing huh good timing
1: right right Right, i guess so
0: (laughs) and what did you well first was it from 91 to 2000 you were in canada for that nine years um How much of those years were you studying for your doctoral degree, for your PhD? Well,
1: uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I didn't have a background in psychology because I studied Mm. economics, right? Uh I had to make up for some undergraduate uh, credit Uh to get accepted or to be eligible to apply for graduate school. Uh I had, you know, about one to two years in undergraduate and then two years in master's and then uh then doctoral oh wow but you know there are a lot of um times i don't know what i did mm. but i was a doctoral student <laughs> which means a good thing right <laughs> yeah
0: yeah um i don't know if your experience lines up but in my experience while i was in japan uh, um, i would say that many japanese people do not learn fluent english Mm-hmm. And so did when you went to Canada did you already speak fluent English and you went and you learned psychology in English or what was that like
1: Right right you know i mean in when i was in university uh, oh. called Waseda, I made friends and i became I'm friends with some international students oh. and i loved traveling oh. so i learned english and uh you know that way mm. But when I actually went to Canada, you know, I mean, I was I had enough TOEFL score, right? Uh But I don't think I did well in even in high school. Uh You know, not even university. But uh, the English I thought was good, Mm. but it was not enough to you know get good grades. It was hard initially.
0: Yeah. And I imagine uh, psychology has a lot of a lot of words that are very sp- specific to psychology. And especially if you're learning about like, I don't know, they talk about like, well, the first thought was like Freud and the ego and the id and the superego or like, I don't know, it's just very, it's words that you don't use in everyday English. And so then you have to learn more like medical terms and diagnoses and things and write papers all of the papers you have to write
1: right right you know i mean i think it's such an interesting thing because you know the psychoanalysis right Uh um japanese analysts uh translated freudian terms in a very complicated Uh japanese term that never existed Uh which made it almost impossible to understand mm. so in some way it wasn't more difficult to study in english uh. because you have this kind of aversive reactions to complicated you know japanese words you have never seen right <laughs> yeah. uh, english words of course you haven't seen it so it's okay
0: ah uh, that makes sense
1: so and also you know first experience I mean, you know, first main exposure, like big exposure to psychology, Mm. for me was in English. Mm. So I think that was that made it okay, and so and also I was young, so I could memorize better. Uh
0: Uh Yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's interesting because I recently read about how. And in, in German, Freud called the the id, the ego and the superego. The id was the it, the ego was I, and the superego was like above I. Right. And then when they trans, that's, so that's super easy to remember if you're learning in German. And then mm. when they translated it to English, they used Latin, which we don't really use Latin anymore. So it doesn't really feel as common or everyday speech. And then they translated it to Japanese and it's even more complicated. <laughs> Right, right. Yeah.
1: Freud, you know, I mean, I'm not a psychoanalyst, but I know yeah. that Freud used these terms to make it more familiar to you mm. and understandable. Yeah. But somehow all these academic people <laughs> made the opposite effort yeah. to make it even harder.
0: Such a shame.
1: Right, right. I mean, you know, it, 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 Uh You know, right, is like two syllables in English, right? Uh In Japanese, it's made of three complicated Chinese characters. Oh, you know, that would take I don't know how many more seconds to write. (laughs) Yeah, weird thing. Uh Yeah, and
0: okay, and so what, uh, studying counseling in Canada um mm-hmm. and and learning psychology and in like in english and maybe like a western way of uh was it was it kind of like a client-centered approach or what kind of approach did you learn through through school right
1: you know it's my uh you know uh, i went to miguel university counseling psychology programs mm-hmm. the professors there are at, at then they're more integrative. they're you know, they had their home base, like uh, you know, uh, let's say psychodynamic or experiential, uh, but they're more integrative and open to variety of approaches. Mm. So, you, I was really interested in like learning more than, you know, one approach. Yeah, different views. I valued, uh, you know having different alternative views. Mm. And the idea, you know, that the approach is more for the patient or the clients, what's good for them. Mm. I think, you know, for psychologists to be able to be flexible Mm. and open to different interpretations and ideas Mm. uh, is more important. That was my so sort of take on it, but I was naturally drawn to experiential approaches and uh, you know some psychodynamic approaches as well
0: hmm. okay um, when when did you get well, I'll ask that in a, I'll ask ask that in a little bit so and in Canada, so you you finished your your degree. And you went back to Japan, and then right. and then and then where did your career start from there? What was it like right. in Japan? You know,
1: it's interesting because we might have been able to meet in Okinawa because when I was in Canada,
0: huh.
1: actually, you, uh, you, know, my mother was uh, sick, and I went back to Japan. And I thought I should think about the future, and I applied for the universities in Japan. Mm. Even though I wasn't really thinking about Um, But then I applied to one in uh, Sapporo and one in Okinawa. Uh. And I got a call from a uh, university in Sapporo. And so I decided to go there for you know, a lot of reasons. Mm. What Hokkaido is famous for. Uh. You know, the seafood, the beautiful, you know, nature, mm. all that. But I was happy to have a job, um, and I thought it would be a great change from being in Montreal mm. to, you know, Japan. Yeah. Yeah. So I I went to Sapporo and back then, because uh, many universities in Japan are studying graduate school. Mm. For, uh, they needed someone with a PhD who can supervise uh, master's thesis and also uh, train students with clinical skills hmm. so that was that was the start of my career oh, okay yeah
0: yeah and and what did you think about that?
1: Um, you know, I mean, as you probably felt when you went back to the States from Okinawa, it's a culture shock to go back <laughs> to where you are, right? Yeah. yeah, it is. Especially, you know, to work in a new system.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know, Hokkaido is a beautiful place. But I think the the way people live is quite different from Tokyo. Uh uh-huh um you know it's more relaxed Mm. but the people do have different values yeah i really enjoy being there but uh it was very cold (laughs) i mean montreal was cold but the suburb is also cold and it's got so much snow you're buried in the snow for about Mm. three months (laughs) but you know i still go there to teach I was just there in uh, the beginning of uh, August to teach an intensive summer course. So I have been teaching there like every other year. Oh, okay. Yeah, like 15 years. And I still enjoy it.
0: Oh, good. Good. Yeah. uh, So your job, your first job there in Sapporo when you were, you know, helping out with like master's thesis and working with the mm-hmm. you said and they they had like a kind of a clinical program like a training right no.
1: right they uh, in year two thousand they started a graduate school in okay. clinical psychology okay and in in Japan uh, because of the establishment of that public service for school counselors mm. many graduate schools started around then oh So that's because you know the Japanese psychologist needs uh, a clinical psychologist. uh, You know their requirement is a master's degree. Mm. So many universities started the graduate school uh, master program in clinical psychology Mm. around the year two thousand. Okay. And only in like five years or so, I think like hundreds of schools were. You know established around that it was an economic boom i
0: guess (laughs) and what was it like for you to teach like counseling to Mm -hmm. students in japan
1: right i mean that was also a very uh you know like a new learning or Uh to now see how japanese psychologists and students learn psychology.
4: Mm.
1: I mean, first of all, I mean there are many stories, you know, I, I, I can remember, but it was such a strange thing. It was like uh, disorienting in many ways. Uh-huh. For example, you know, the client centered, you know, therapy uh-huh. value sort of the egalitarian relationship, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. The equal status between the therapist and the client, genuine relating right mm. the openness but there's a formality in japanese relationship mm. and there's a that hierarchy in japanese you know social relationship mm. so these really i thought were obstacles to mm. learn the most simple counseling relationship in japan yeah. even though some people seem to do it well and some people seem to get it Mm. But it just was so counter to learning counseling. Mm. I just want to say just one more thing, which is still like you know, one of the things that I struggle every day in teaching psychology. okay. I think many Japanese people still to this day learn that listening quiet, quietly, mm. and looking like, they're interested and looking like they're good students
2: Mm.
1: will make them good students and good learners. Uh In psychology, especially in clinical work, spontaneity is very important. Mm. Being able to express your ideas, Mm. whether it's correct or not, but just being able to take a chance and say what's on your mind Mm. is part of you know, emotional awareness and also the, you know, expressive capacity that you need as a therapist.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
1: These things are not valued, uh, you know, have not been valued and they are more, tend to be more passive and quiet and it makes it very difficult for mm. them to learn. Because it's not just learning skills, it's like a change in the value system and the change in the basic kind of you know automatic behavioral patterns that they yeah. have, yeah, of being a passive, a good you know a modest person mm. to be more actively involved
0: mm. that's a so I have several questions um but one to to pick up kind of where you left off you mentioned you mentioned it's not just a change in their and it's not just a simple change but it's a change in their value like their value system and the way that they see social interactions and in the world almost right um we're we're taught a lot that that uh working working with people from different cultures we have to be very careful not to impose our own values on our clients or like western values on our on clients from a different back, cultural background and and it, and so in what how much of it is is this is the way psychotherapy works and it has to be this way to like how much of it can be adapted to fit their own their values already
1: right right you know i mean that's an interesting question and i have written a paper called cultural um accommodation of psychotherapy okay but you know because many early japanese psychotherapists were always interested in modifying parts of western psychotherapy models Uh to meet japanese needs Mm. you know like culturally modifying parts of it Mm. so that it's Um, it goes well with Japanese cultures. Mm. But that goes two ways, right? Because I think it can really, um, you know, sort of, um, you know, cherish Japanese culture, cultural values, and make psychotherapy more effective or more suited for Japanese people. Mm. Or that kind of modification can spoil what that psychotherapy is. Yeah. Just to meet and even reinforce social oppression that might be happening in Japan mm. based on a single therapist's personal opinion of what the culture is right. and what other what important values are. So I think it's very important. Mm. That you know, uh, psychotherapy that really doesn't fit Japanese culture is not directly, or you know, without any kind of deep thinking, mm. just applied, you know, as it is to Japanese clients. Mm. But at the same time, what kind of adjustment that we make is important not just that we make adjustment yeah so yeah i mean you know i do what do you think i mean you are here (laughs) in okinawa and okinawa is a quite accommodating people who Mm. would you know welcome new kind of ideas and influences to their lives
0: yeah yeah very very accommodating um I, I I don't know for sure. I, I I like that answer. It's it's. I think in everything there's there's a cost benefit analysis that we need mm-hmm. to make. And a lot of times, you know, they say like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. A lot of times we try to do things because we have good intentions, but we don't we don't know what we're throwing away in, right, in the right. And um, I was going to ask and is here i think that a lot of the younger my my age and and younger generation were a lot more open to therapy than maybe my parents or grandparents would have been um do you see similarly in japan like um either more open to therapy or more open to maybe an experiential type of therapy and less less authority and less uh more more equal more egalitarian
1: Right, you know, I do think so. I I Mm. really do think that's uh, very much changing. Okay. Um, but I think that the traditional, more you know, non egalitarian or authoritarian style, Mm. it's still very powerful and still, um, you know, sought by lots of people Mm. because it gives a sense of comfort. uh Uh, that kind of authority do this or don't do this Mm. uh a direct simple advice from a parental figure yeah who japanese people call sensei right Uh a sensei could be politician or teachers or doctors or whoever is in power Mm. right
0: yeah yeah see um my thinking is that the way that we're taught psychology like maybe here in america especially or in canada or something is is that people want a direct answer like you said because it's a comfort and and if they have a direct answer my thinking is that well then if it doesn't go well they have someone that they can blame or they have someone that they can they don't have to own up to mistake or the guilt that comes from Mm. the Mm. failure and 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 the way that we would do it is like no you you know maybe you have the answer i i believe that you know what's right to do and i believe that you can do that um and you put the kind of the responsibility on the client Mm. and you try to help them become more of an individual and less less dependent on authority figures
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um Mm. but Yeah, and then is that more of a Western value, like becoming an individual or separating from authority figures? Um, Right, right. Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah, yeah. you know, I I do see what you mean. But, you know, for example, like client-centered therapy, Hmm. which is probably, you know, one therapy uh, that really tries to do what you are saying, right? Uh It could be non-directional to be, you know, empathic, to be valuing and prizing of the client mm. so that the client him or herself is able to value, you know, I mean, their own experiences mm. to guide their decisions, to, you know, base their actions on their thoughts and feelings. Mm. And the client-centered therapy was like The therapy for a university counseling center for many years, and it still is very strong. And I think the the Japanese uh, therapists do have that ideal as well. Okay. But they also uh, tend to value another opposing or contradictory idea that, you know, but if you Try to make decisions. If you press your opinion too much, you wouldn't be liked by other people. Mm. So, you know, being balancing the two is more important.
3: Mm. Uh Good balance.
1: The the idea, like how to fit in, how to serve social needs, how to be a part of society, Mm. that sort of um, I think the Japanese therapists do not ignore the individual needs and self-actualization, mm. but they really are more contextual, but more contextual than they realize. <laughs> the mm. You know that famous uh, saying about, uh, you know, the nail that stands out gets mm. hit yeah. in Japanese society and squeaking what floor squeaking wall, floors get uh, waxed? Mm. What is that? But anyway, so I think the Japanese a psychotherapist or a psychologist sort of like the sy- systemic thinking mm. and uh, the idea of fitting in are like you know, two huge things. Yeah. I wonder if you, you know, I don't know if this is a direction you want to take, uh-huh. but in last 20 years, uh, you know, Japanese psychology has shifted its focus to developmental disorders. Mm. Um, you know, especially people are in, really interested in, um, you know, sort of like um, autism, mm. Um but milder one, like Asperger, mm. because that, you know, it's very common, right? I mean, in Japan with small kids. But also, those people with Asperger's are uh, somehow represented as kind of uh, people who are not good for the Japanese you know, fabric of Japanese society because they don't re- respond to social cues. Mm. They don't fit in. Uh-huh. They cannot create and maintain interpersonal relationship. Uh-huh. They can't follow the rules, like unwritten rules of, you know, interpersonal situations. Yeah. So it's been a, a big social issues and whatever's written on asphalt uh, sometimes I, you know, tend to think that value is reflected, mm. and um, overemphasis or almost a kind of obsess obsessive kind of um, interest ah. um, on Aspergers somehow makes me think this is not a psychological issue as much as. A social
0: issue
1: value issues i don't know if i'm making sense
0: yes uh i i believe i so you're saying that that um and maybe in your opinion japanese people uh by and large in general they they have a very they value social conformity and they value um cohesion and everyone getting along and making making turning the gears making the society work and people who are out of place they're the ones who get picked on or they're the ones who get put down or they're the ones who get um maybe in trouble like you said like the the nail that sticks out is the one that gets hit so everyone everyone tries to blend in look the same be the same Um, Mm. and so people with developmental disorders like like asperger's or autism because society is so valued and so societal relations, and they have trouble, like the, the very essence of Asperger's and autism is trouble with social cues and social relations that Japanese psychologists are kind of almost obsessively trying to figure out how to fix mm-hmm. how to fix that that problem,
1: yes, yes. Mm. And yeah, I mean, you know I, I can just uh, you know have uh, a list of examples like that uh-huh. but i don't know if you have heard this expression in Jap- japanese called kuki uh-huh. ga uh, th- which means that uh, someone who cannot read the air uh-huh. meaning that someone who cannot you know understand or you know perceive interpersonal message or read between the lines uh-huh. So reading the air, I guess reading between the line. And I I don't know when, but you know, people make fun of those people who can't read mm. between the line and you know, they became the target of ridicule as well as I don't know, socially accepted, you know, microaggressions like, oh, you know, so and so cannot read the air. Uh. You know. Because they can't interpersonally function well.
4: Mm.
1: So, you know, another ish- example would be hikikomori, which is, um, you know, now internationally known, mm. the people who are socially withdrawn, people who stay home and, you know, wouldn't participate in a social, I don't know, whatever work or. Uh, you know, school,
2: mm.
1: you know, there are millions of Japanese people and it's not just the young people. Uh, one of the, you know, main portion of Kikomori people are people in 40s and 50s, mm. right? Mm. And, uh, you know, I think now the treatment is more psychological but the many treatments tend to be more kind of re-education kind of corrective Uh you know things Uh that are not based on psychological principles but more of you know i don't know it's re-education almost Uh like a a discipline Mm. so yeah, there's that element.
0: Yeah. What do you think? Um what do you think the answer is to that?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question, right? Because I you know, I myself didn't like the kind of a conformity huh. uh, in Japanese society. There are also visible kind of conformity, right? I mean people are wearing suits. Uh-huh. Uh, it's so visible. Like you know, if you're uh, in Shinjuku Station or Marunouchi Station, um, I don't know. I mean, the main business area, the wall the Wall Street or whatever, the uh-huh. downtown of Tokyo, um, nine a.m. in the morning, everyone's walking in the same direction,
2: uh-huh.
1: same pace, wearing the same suits. And if you are try to walk on, you know, or Shinjuku Station or whatever, mm. if you try to walk on a different pace, you can't, because it's like a river of people. Mm. So practically speaking, going in the same direction and being, you know, conform, conforming or um, to whatever's happening is adaptive in many ways, right? Yeah and it has to be the way. And I mean, that's a visible part. Uh-huh. But there are also a many invisible conformity that people feel like you have to do, or you have to live this way, or you have to behave this way. Mm. And some of those customs or invisible conformity really create something great in Japanese society. Mm. But also really creating or contributing to kind of suffocating um, kind of environment Mm. that, you know, even though some people realize, but other people don't realize as if you're like climbing up the mountains and it's just, you know, it starts to, you know, becomes hard to be, breathe but mm. you're kind of slowly getting used to so you don't know how hard it is actually mm. to breathe anymore
0: mm. Mm. it sounds almost kind of like correct me if i'm wrong but um i had i had some japanese friends and they they did not learn to speak English, and I asked them why didn't you ever want to learn English? And they said like, "This is Japan. If people want to come visit Japan, they should speak Japanese." And I didn't. They didn't have any interest in traveling really to other countries. So I know a lot of people, uh, kind of of that mindset, and that maybe that's kind of maybe like more conservative. Like we have our traditions, our our customs, mm-hmm. our own all of these things that we need to keep. Um, and it reminds me in a, in America for a long time you, you used to hear like very conservative um, uh, white people maybe would say like this is America speak English like not Spanish or something and now now I think America is going through a big a big shift and people are trying to better understand how to how to live in America and especially accept all these different cultures and not be so conservative, maybe be a little more balanced. Um, would you say that that's kind of how you, in some ways you would hope Japan takes that type of path where like they, you keep certain traditions and customs, but maybe the ones that are not doing much good anymore, you kind of shed those off or
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I I keep thinking about it. I don't have the answer, like, what Mm. kind of direction or path we are taking. Mm. But, you know, Daniel, I do remember the time when, you know, sometimes when I come back from Canada and some of my friends or some people are so proud of Japan, Uh and they don't even speak English, they don't go outside Japan. So they live on this tiny little island mm. on the globe, but they, when they say that, you know, we are the best or, well, you know, this is the best thing. like mm. and also people need to speak Japanese if they are here, I think that that is the kind of, I don't know, coming from the oppression almost, sort of like uh, it's not the statement of underlying happiness. Mm. It's a statement of re- reflecting underlying uh, oppression mm. and uh, kind of not having power. Uh-huh. Mm. Uh, you know, I do feel sad. I I used to feel angry uh. when I he- hear that. You know, mm. like oh, you don't know anything outside. <laughs> Here, and there are so many great things, and Mm. you know, it's like it's so it's it makes me it made me angry that they don't want to learn Mm. and respect something different. Uh I think that's still there in some way, but it does make me feel, you know, I mean, more sad than angry now Mm. that they are so closed. They are so, uh, you know, they kind of gave up learning
2: yeah. something
1: different yeah. and they feel that they have to follow and this is the best. Mm. It's kind of like the sign that they stopped growing mm. or thinking.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, very, very complicated, very interesting.
1: Yeah, very complicated social issue
0: mm, Yeah,
1: when people come to that sort of
0: idea -hmm. um yeah i was gonna ask with uh you know and um and and um like i said i think the younger generation is is getting better but generally speaking i think in america um it's kind of like it's kind of people kind of make it into a joke now that like guys don't like to talk about their feelings and and so when you do therapy with guys they're more like con I want to fix it. What's the content, not what's happened, not the feelings involved?
2: Yeah.
0: And, um, and I don't know, um, with, with, with you being interested in experiential therapy, that's very, what are you feeling? How, what, are, how does it feel to feel what you're feeling? You know, like the meta process. Yeah. Um yeah. yeah. yeah, uh, yeah
1: I'm not- yeah, I'm very interested, I, even though I don't write about it, but when I do therapy and I work with, you know, both, I have more female clients than male clients, but I do work with male clients.
2: Huh.
1: And um it's a very interesting issue, the gender and uh, emotional experience and emotional expressiveness, right?
2: Uh-huh.
1: boys don't cry <laughs> yeah. It's such a big thing. And I think that in Japan, the boys um aged between twelve and twenty five, crying is not the sign of the sadness or expression of sadness, but the crying is the defeat. Mm it's uh humiliating
4: mm-hmm.
1: and it's it's so difficult so you know i mean for many people they would never let other people see their tears mm. but it's much worse for the people in you know 40s 50s or even 60s mm. um there's a lot of you know i mean you spoke to less mm-hmm. um You know, so you talked about emotions, but Japanese people tend to have a lot of social emotions Mm. or so-called instrumental emotions. Uh, They tend to show what's socially acceptable, Mm. but really getting to what they really feel when the feelings are not socially, uh, you know, I mean, not considered good feelings. Uh Uh-huh like you know, say anger or disgust and all other nasty ones. Uh they don't want to show. Mm. They don't wanna admit or they it's hard for them to show in a uh, therapeutic relationship, for sure. Yeah. So we need to uh, to be aware. And another thing can I add? Yes is, you know, one of the things that one of the emotions that I've been interested in studying is shame. Mm. Shame is such a, you know, I mean, so-called um, emotion that Japanese people are fixated with. Mm. So um, I have been interested in shame. Um But you know, shame is associated with many kind of psychological pathology. It's often considered as sort of, you know, one of the worst emotion. But the people don't want to talk about shame because, you know, there's a shame about shame. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: But in Japan, shame is often considered as socially good emotion, right? Mm -hmm. Not the emotion. Not the shame as sort of, um, you know, very painful, sort of, you know, core shame, but a sense of shame. Hmm. Having a sense of shame, uh, consciousness of yourself from other people's point of view is considered very important.
0: Hmm. Yeah. um, And in preparation for interviewing you, I actually, I did get around to reading two articles that you've written. Um, uh, and one of them was... Thank you. Yes, yes. One of them, uh, you wrote an article titled, Working with Social Withdrawal or Hikikomori in Japan from Shame to Pride. Um, and yeah. I, I when I talked with Dr. Greenberg, he was talking about replacing emotion with emotion. And is that kind of, is that your approach with, with Hikikomori is that maybe they predominantly feel shame and you're trying to, uh, I read, so you, the case study in the article, you worked with a man named Ken. Yeah. uh, It was, it was very interesting to read a very, I think, very brilliant work. And, and I saw how you tried to point out also you did this and, 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 it took strength to do that and you tried to point out his strengths and like a strength-based approach and so were you trying to were you trying to gear him more toward pride instead of feeling the shame or yeah can you talk about that
1: right right i mean yeah i think that was like one of my interests and i always wanted to write about Uh you know some of the work that you know i do and But also, you know, writing about the shame and how shame is addressed in therapy. Mm. Um, I think with many people that we see and also in my research, I have um, um, a research, sex therapy research on transforming shame, a past shameful experience. Mm. You know, we work to transform shame. I mean, you know, I mean, I think that, Pride is the opposite of shame in many ways, right? Mm. Because you're ashamed of yourself, to your, you know, you're confident and you're proud Mm. of who you are. But in this process, um, we need another, you know, a different emotional experience Mm. to get to uh, a pride. You know, sometimes it is really expressing anger. Experiencing anger and being able to express anger, you know, it's not me, but it's them. Mm. I was, you know, I didn't do it. It's not my fault to really kind of push the blame out of yourself. Mm. That kind of process is very important. You know, for even for hikikomori people, this Mm. is social system that's messed up. Or, Mm. this is a social system that is not good for me. Uh And it was forced on me. Uh It's not because I'm weak that I'm at home. Uh It is just not good for me. It's not for me. Mm. So, you know, um, anger as an emotion Mm. helps getting rid of what you don't like from inside, outside. But more importantly, To say no, to protect yourself, to draw Mm -hmm. boundaries. Mm -hmm. Um, So, in Japanese clients, being able to express anger without worrying about how society would or others would perceive you, to be able to feel, um, you know, in the safety of a therapeutic relationship, Mm -hmm. all the physical energy that comes with uh anger Mm. you know that gives a sense of power the strength you know excitement energy Mm. that's very important Mm -hmm. so all you know transforming shame involves like anger or sometimes sadness of losing the dream that you had Mm. all different kinds of emotions but experiencing all kinds of emotions, changing emotion with another emotion, hmm. is a great idea. Oh. And, uh, you know, I'm thankful to Les for oh. articulating such an interesting uh, principle of change.
0: It's very interesting, yes. Hmm. Um, I see, I I wonder... You talked about you—you you didn't really grow up liking the conformity aspect of Japan, and and then you mentioned with hikikomori, like they, they're they kind of sometimes feel like society placed this on me, and I have to mold, I have to fit into society, and I'm not really interested in that. So I, it makes sense that you might resonate with with their thinking in a lot of ways
1: right right you know and also i just realized you know what influenced me a lot was um you know seeing um my personal kind of observation about how shame played a huge role in japanese society i think and you know through my you know seeing through my parents and you know in Everyday life that mm. uh, really kind, of, uh, you know, um, stimulated me. Mm. In yeah. Can you
0: can you say a little bit more about that? Like what? Right. Why? Yeah. You
1: know, like for example, my parents mm. they grew up in wartime, oh. so you know, I mean, they had no food, or you know, many of people, uh, I guess had a lot of secrets Uh, not because they you know did something horrible but because of um of the circumstance you know the circumstances they did a lot of things that they didn't want to do or they were in a situation where they you know i mean they they weren't able to um do what they were supposed to do anyway.
3: Uh So,
1: you know, my parents also had a lot of secrets. For example, you know, my father dropped out of high school, but he never told anybody. Uh Uh, But, I mean, dropping out of high school back then, you know, really was just a natural thing because they had to move to another city because they had no food, Mm -hmm. you know, and the school was just not, Mm -hmm. you know, something that, was uh, important but he would hide this wow. and uh, you know for many years right i mean but you know then my mother also has a lot of secrets and uh, so i think i lived in this sort of like a hidden shame and yeah. uh, family and i also hear all whole bunch of stories like these but also, you know, I see how shame in Japanese universe, uh, in Japanese society is used as a way of social control. Mm. Like, you know, if you see kids crying in the park or on the train, the mother would say to the kid, other people are looking at you.
2: Mm.
1: They think you're sissy. Uh. Uh, or like, or it's it's unsightly or you know.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Like oh, it's embarrassing. Uh-huh. So they would um, sort of work on shaming you. Mm. I know how shame, shame, and shaming is such a, a you know problematic thing in many society, but in Asian society, uh, shaming is still used as a, a casual and predominant social control mm. in so many ways. Yeah. and we are shaming each other one another all the time without saying a word by just a gaze or you, you know what i mean
0: right yeah yeah You are here yeah yeah i've never i've never really thought about it that way before that's mm-hmm. um i'm sure by the time you get to do therapy with a lot of people there's a lot of shame to be worked through huh
1: right right yeah. also you know i mean I don't know if you've seen this ad hmm. um on Japanese Metro. I think it's on the internet, but hmm. there's a, a series of very funny uh ad on a uh, Tokyo Metro called oh. Let's Do Please Do That in Your Home or In Your Room. And it's like a cartoon of a, a woman putting a makeup on on the train. Oh. And or like a couple holding each other's hands, or I don't know. Anyway, eating on the subway, mm. but the whole you know, please do that in your home yeah. ad campaign is like a shame shaming campaign. <laughs> yeah, I like I to do that on the on the you know, it's like nuisance. It's mm. uh, other people will be uncomfortable. Mm. So, there's a lot of shaming that's um, used, um, maybe in a clever way, but also in a way of, you know, uh, contributing to people developing, you know, more shame Mm. to inhibit them from being more expressive,
2: Mm.
1: feeling free.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: I think
1: the conformity has a lot to do with shame as well.
0: Mhm. Yeah, it's tough because
2: you know, uh, I think
0: by and large If I, if I was in, if I was in, let's say Shibuya or Tokyo at at an intersection and I lost my wallet, chances are that someone would turn it, turn my wallet into the police station and I would get it and everything would still be in there. But if I lost my wallet in New York city, chances of me getting it back are very, very low. And, uh, or just like you go to Japan and if you go to a bathroom in family Mart or something, it is very very clean 100% of the time mm-hmm. but if you go to a bathroom here in america at a at a gas station the chances of it being clean is very low and so i can see why like there's there's so many good things that come from that but i can also it's not just it's i can see how much bad will come from that and how much weight people carry around if they if they make a mistake um i don't i don't know a great lot about freud but i know he would call it like a harsh superego and it's just like the it's the voice in your head saying like you made a mistake right. you're you're you should be ashamed of yourself you should
1: right. yeah the shame superego you yeah, know it's interesting because i think that we need uh, someone can make a, a in social psychology can do an experiment Uh, Uh, You know, about people using bathroom, you know, cleanly for whatever reasons. Is it because of, uh, you know, Mm. shame, empathy, Mm. uh, you know, what are the, you know, the reasons why that is? Uh And I do like Japan for the, you know, for the reasons, Mm. for that reason, the public bathroom is A place, safe place. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's like one thing to have a sense of safety in mm. terms of, you know, not being attacked. Mm. But I think there's something like bathroom safety, right? Uh-huh. You can go to the bathroom uh-huh. and it's clean. Yeah. And that's special.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know yeah. a lot of people here in America that don't use public restrooms.
1: I know. It is horrible. It is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know why it has to be so hard to keep the bathroom, <laughs> you know, in a usable condition. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that's another thing I'm interested in, disgust. Oh. Uh, the emotion of disgust as well, how yeah. that functions socially.
4: Because
1: mm. I think the sense of disgust is, like, somehow very strong. Mm. Yeah? Uh-huh.
0: Yeah, going back to, I think it's, I might be wrong, but it might be this guy named Jonathan Haidt. I think he's looked into temperament or personality styles and conservatives versus liberals in America. And he, um, he was saying that by and large, conservatives show disgust, the emotion of disgust much more than liberals do. Mm. And so I wonder if Japan is more of a conservative country, how much more disgust you'll find
1: mm. in
0: the general population like that? That's
1: interesting, yeah, mm. I, I wonder if maybe there are already experiments or the research that's being done mm. here on the same idea. Yeah. yeah,
0: that would be very interesting,
1: yeah.
0: um, can you so one of my professors here at my university, she she is very interested in AEDP, right? And um, she had yeah, yeah, I read. She gave me a book on on by Diana Fosha on AEDP yeah. AEDP, and I read the book and I found it very very interesting. And um, she we've done. She goes to some workshops and stuff sometimes. She wants to get certified. Um, Right. down the line but yeah can you can you tell me for a lot of people are not going to know about aedp so can you kind of tell us what it is and how you heard about it and got interested in it
1: right right i mean aedp or accelerated experiential dynamic psychotherapy right huh. um is you know uh integrative affect focused therapy originally you know based on uh, intensive short-term dynamic therapy mm. of Habib Davenlu, mm. who had a very kind of confrontational style of intervention, but at the same time the precision that he worked with uh, was really admired. Mm. But, you know, short-term dynamic ther- psychotherapy was very special because they videotape uh, their sessions, and we see the dramatic change that their patients go through mm. within a matter of one hour. Mm. But Diana Fosher replaced that confrontational style with more empathic, you know, affirming style. Mm. Instead of pressuring the clients with uh, confrontation or challenge, she would empathize, you know, very deeply mm. so that, the, you know, her patients will be able to open up Mm. and reach the depth of emotional experience. Um, ADP is uh, somewhat different from EFT in that it's more relational, attachment based, Mm. and it also emphasizes the processing or addressing positive emotional experience,
2: Mm. Uh,
1: not just focusing on the problems or the distress and suffering But ADP really addresses the positive emotional experience as systematically and as rigorously as negative emotions. You're smiling.
0: Oh, no, that's cool. I just, I like that.
1: Oh, okay, good. Uh, You know, I wasn't sure if I was making sense. No, yeah, you are. (laughs) It's not just, you know, really, um, you know, addressing and overcoming or working through the negative emotions, but their clients or the patients are able to make use of their positive psychological resources or emotional Mm. resources. One of the idea that's uh, very important in uh, ADP is called receptive affective capacity, Mm. which means uh, you you are able to receive other people's care, support, Uh empathy, love, you know, Uh uh, receptive capacity, right? Mm. Because, you know, if you are to feel good, it's not that, you know, you feel horrible, but being able to make use of what's given to you,
4: Mm.
1: so that they become kind of like a nutrition, Uh emotional nutrition, Mm. So that's what ADP is. I don't know if I did the justice to the complexity of its theory and practice, but you know that's how I understand.
0: I like that. I I really, in my own personal, um, goals, I want to get better with positive with with yeah, uh, reinforcing positive emotion and like a strength-based approach to therapy um can you give me an example kind of of how you how you might go about really focusing on the positive aspect of emotions and not just the negative
1: right right well you know like uh one of the you know i mean for example like one of the studies that we are doing focuses Mm -hmm. on the first session of psychotherapy Mm -hmm. uh in adp i mean first session in adp Mm -hmm. Uh, The first session is often considered as sort of like intake Mm. uh, or, you know, informational session almost, right? The client's Uh talking about what's troubling them and you are there to understand, uh, you know, Mm. the problem, the situation and, you know, what contributed to the problem while establishing a good relationship, Mm. You know, ADP does all that, but it also focuses on any signs, positive signs, the strengths, the sign of resilience. Mm. For example, like if the client says, "You know, it's you know, I'm so depressed and I I don't you know I don't see any hope in here, but I really want to get I want really want to get you know back to my life." Mm. That. Single statement, I really want to, you know, uh, do this. Mm. That's a sign of the strength in the mid, you know, in the midst of all the suffering and distress.
2: Mm.
1: But it's a little bit of something, but it's still a sign of the strength and the positivity in clients. Mm. So you don't want to focus. You don't want to miss that, but you mm. are, all, you should be able to pick it up help the client expand it to really feel it mm. to really get in touch with that pos- you know a tiny island of positivity in the ocean of all the negatives that's going on uh-huh. in adp that's called glimmer of transformance
3: okay
2: sort
1: of like a glimmer a tiny glimmer of strength or you know desire to grow mm. So, being able to pick up both is important.
0: Oh.
1: Can I add one more thing? Yes, please. Yeah. Oh. So, in ADP, they have uh, identified a series of uh, unique emotion called transformational affects. Okay. Transformational affects are the emotions that happen when you experience change.
5: Mm. For
1: example, you know, I mean. When you succeed, you know, you feel like, yeah, I did it. Mm-hmm. That sense of mastery, mm-hmm. you know, you're transformed by this success. So it's called mastery effect. Uh-huh. Or when you realize something, you have realization affect. That's emotion, aha experience, right?
4: Uh-huh. Oh,
1: this is what I mean. That sense of excitement and mastery and or sometimes you have this Feeling called healing affect. Healing affect is like, well, thank you for helping me. That kind Mm. of like feeling touched, moved, a sense of gratitude. So in ADP, when you see those emotions,
2: Mm.
1: you help your clients savor those emotions, feel more of it. Uh Feel, you know, uh, really just absorb what it is like just so that it becomes a part of yourself uh feel it reflect on it Mm. savor it and really uh consolidate uh as a part of yourself Mm. that's another kind of work with positive emotions
0: that's really neat i um I like all of like how you said if you have a client who is saying like, I'm really depressed, but you know, I, I'm here, I want to get better, especially during an intake or something. Um, instead of just blowing by, like, yeah, I understand, and and we're gonna try to help you. And um, and and one of the ways that we can help you is to get more information. So can you like <laughs> instead yeah, yeah, of doing, yeah, yeah, it's and I feel like some that's just it's very easy to do. It's very we're taught we're taught to look for symptoms. Right. And then we're taught to look for these symptoms and to make a diagnosis. Right. And so we're looking for, for already, we're looking for the negative things. And so we hear the word I'm depressed. And then everything after that is just kind of like, okay, well, we're going to, but you just Mm -hmm. missed a great opportunity to say like, you are here. And a lot of people would have never walked through these doors. And that shows a lot of strength on your part. And
1: Exactly, exactly. Like, you know, I mean, exactly. I You know, I I like what you said because the first of all, like if the client comes to your office saying, I'm I'm so depressed. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I I just can't do anything. Mm -hmm. In spite of that depression, in spite of that deeply depressed state, you came all the way here Mm -hmm. to see me. So even in that, statement you feel this sense of i don't know i want to get better or Mm. you know that effort that drive to do something so being able to see that the other side Mm. of you know that statement i'm so depressed i can't do anything Mm. you're here i think that's uh, very important yeah
0: yeah very cool uh, and so, how did you how did you hear about AEDP?
1: Uh, well, yeah, I mean, when I was in Montreal, oh. I did my internship at the Montreal General Hospital, where uh, Davin uh, Habib Davinloo was oh. doing his uh, short-term dynamic psychotherapy. Oh, so I was exposed to short-term dynamics psychotherapy then, and I saw Diana's book. Hmm. And I read the preface or forward where she talked about her experience and hmm. you know, i really resonated, but, you know, several years later, I saw the, her work at the society for SEPI meeting, which is the SEPI is a society for exploration of Therapy integration. Okay. Uh, it's an international organization for psychotherapy integration. Mm. Diana presented her work, showed her clinical work, uh, you know, the videotapes. Mm. And I thought, wow, this is so great. Uh. And uh, then I took some courses, but, you know, as a researcher, I really wanted to study ADP. Mm. So I went to Diana said, You know, I wanted to study, and so that's how I started getting involved. Okay, but you know, and meanwhile, I was so interested in EFT, and you know, I was interested in emotion.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think. They're uh, you know, where the university that I'm going to right now, they're heavy on CBT. You find every once in a while, my supervisor. She's like, she jokes because she's psychodynamically oriented, but she likes like the AEDP, and she jokes that it's kind of like uh, she's people come up to her and they're like, hey, I I heard you like psychodynamic therapy, like, can we talk? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah, I like I I've any type of learning that I've done about EFT or AEDP has kind of been self-taught and so i'm still i'm still trying to learn a lot about that
2: mm.
0: yeah I, I i saw i'm also very interested in um i i really liked carl Jung, uh-huh. and i saw in one of your i think it was the article on um psychotherapy integration in japan right um you mentioned you mentioned that uh there was kind of a Jungian thought or Jungian therapy had kind of a an influence in Japan. I forget. The last name was Kawaii. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, and and I got really excited. I got really, I, I saw, I, I was reading your article and I saw that and then I looked him up. I had never heard of him before and I saw that he wrote books on like, on uh, myths, like in Japan, uh, Japanese myths and fairy tales and interpreting them from a Jungian perspective. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very interesting. Have you have you read his works and do you have any interest in that area?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I am interested. I, I think I'm interested in two ways. Mm. Just, uh, you know, one is that, you know, I think, I was interested originally uh because it feels like his work is so important and interesting, but also I think it has a lot to do with the sort of the sense of nationalism, the mm. kind of uh asserting a Japanese uniqueness mm. uh, so it is more of a cultural studies uh-huh. You know, interest uh-huh some of it is very interesting and it may represent reflect the Japanese psyche mm. but the whole idea whole notion of thinking about the Japanese psyche is not a um, subject matter of psychology but subject matter of nationalism mm. you know what I mean uh-huh. uh, this distinguishing Japanese from other aging as group um, you know sort of that sort of idea Mm. as rise of nationalism rather than i don't know yeah the inquiry in psychology
0: yeah that makes sense
1: right so cultural uniqueness of japanese people
0: Mm.
1: but uh, some of the materials are just genuinely interesting he's uh, a very good i mean good writer Mm. I think he's uh Joseph Campbell of Japan. Oh, cool. And uh, he's, you know, he speaks, I mean, his lectures are interesting. He's an interesting person. And what he writes uh, captures, you know, sort of like a Japanese social issues very well. Mm. And he has a manner of addressing problems, empathy and the kindness.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: Not just a one-way criticism from an academic point of view.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I'm very interested to, to learn more about him. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, yeah. in that article, you, you talked about some of the ways that um, there has been accommodations for therapy in Japan. And one of those, um, what you talked about parallel therapy with mother and child right um i was just curious um i was curious about so you can kind of fill me in where i'm wrong and then maybe respond but so parallel therapy with mother and child you from, from what you wrote it seems as if uh one of the ways that you can be accommodating in japan is you do therapy not only with the child or adolescent but you do the therapy with the mother as well. And it can be separate. It can be like on the same day, but a separate, an individual session with the mom, the mother. And, um, and then it has a few benefits. Like she can kind of receive individual therapy in the, in that time. And she can also, you can provide psychoeducation to her on parenting and maybe what their, her child's going through and and stuff like that. Um, Earlier in the article, or maybe it was the article on social withdrawal with Hikikomori. You talked about um, distant fathers or fathers who are, you know, they're emotionally distant. They're working. They they just throughout the office. So I was wondering, with parallel therapy, is there are our fathers in Japan involved very much in and their children? Is like is Doing parallel therapy with fathers, is that um something like if you provide a psychoeducation to the father, it was like, you know, children need their fathers and need someone to look up to to model, like, yeah, kinda is is that happen or is does it not?
1: <laughs> Very rare. Mm. Very rare. But we do see sometimes the father being You know, uh, taking more active role in the family, Mm. realizing that you know his wife is uh, troubled and he needs to come with them. Mm. But uh, the reality, I think, the majority of cases, it's just the mother bringing the child to therapy, Mm. and the therapist finding it's not just the child, but the mother is also, Mm. uh, you know, a part of the problem. Uh while never really contacting the father mm. about anything at all. Mm. Mm.
0: And how much, um, so in, in my own personal, ex- my short, very short experience of doing therapy, it's, I see a lot of, it's either the mom brings the children and mm. then you hear that there's also problems with the father. And then you ask, um, do you think that you could get the father to come too and we can do kind of like a family session and it's usually all oh, the father has no interest in therapy and the father doesn't even want us to be here or we don't tell the father that we're here because he want to approve um so we even see that a lot here i think mm-hmm. um and so yeah it seems like a lot of times maybe the the mother is having trouble but part of it's because the father like the marriage and Right. Yeah.
1: I think so. I think that's the truth. Hmm. And uh but we you know, I also recognize that sort of the family structure was not only normal hmm. but kind of uh you know, almost like recommended or desirable kind of a family system is in the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, where the father worked
2: uh-huh.
1: and never home.
2: Uh-huh.
1: The mother did all the household work, uh-huh. including parenting. Yeah. That was the ideal family structure, right? Back yeah.
0: then, yeah, yeah, very different times.
1: Actually,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> hmm. Um, I I wanted to ask too. So, uh you. Let's see. In in your article titled "Psychotherapy Integration in Japan." you stressed nonverbal tasks like sandbox techniques. Right. Um, And so you wrote, you write in there, the popularity of sandbox techniques is reflective of the clinical reality of working with Japanese patients, many of whom are often not comfortable discussing personal problems or verbally expressing their feelings in a face-to-face encounter. Um, And I I was reading your case study with Ken uh, in the, in the article on social withdrawal on the other one. And a lot of the, maybe this is a very specific case, but a lot of the interactions that you had with Ken, it was very, um, very verbal oriented, or you would provide maybe empathic uh, reflections or restatements. Um, So it was, is that kind of, is there a balance? Is it like 50 50? Like some clients are just completely nonverbal, like sandbox is best. And some clients, like Ken, he seemed like he was pretty in touch with his emotions. So maybe yeah. he was better yeah. walking through things.
1: You know, I, you, this is it's something that, you know, I mean, that, I mean, thank you for reading that article. And it uh-huh. was written maybe um, 2010 or before that, right? So I wasn't really interested in those non verbal techniques then uh, i thought that was that might be helpful uh-huh. but that couldn't be central to psychotherapy because you know it might help but you know you really need to talk about the problem you need uh-huh. to be you know talk directly about the problem
2: uh-huh.
1: i mean that has you know i mean that way you can overcome the avoidance. You can overcome the fear of, you know, whatever that is. Mm. And uh, you can develop emotional awareness. Mm. And by having symbolic control or grasp by language, mm. you can think about it. Mm. So it is a very important process, I think, to, mm. to be able to talk. still um, I think that the Japanese therapists say you know sometimes it's not necessary or it's not good Mm. talk I don't agree with that the idea Uh but I do see more of the benefit of being able to draw or you know do something um (laughs) you know, but not being able to talk about it or directly deal with it.
2: Mm.
1: You know, I mean, for example, like, you know, exercise uh-huh. is has a very good effect on depression. And just the reason for that is physiological and all that, but mm. there's a little talking in there.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's a good example.
1: So... Um, but, you know, somehow they, I seem to have a more positive view of the exercise <laughs> than some of those techniques, oh. but I, I am more open now.
3: Mm, okay.
1: But I still think that talking is more important, and I think that the overemphasis on you know, nonverbal technique come from a period of, you know, Japanese history Mm. where many people had the social anxiety Mm. and it was talking was just difficult.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Time has changed.
0: Okay. Yeah. Do you have, do you have a group of other Japanese psychologists that you, that agree, that you agree with, that agree with you? that you all kind of get together and discuss these types of things.
1: Yeah, I mean, we made, uh, created, um, uh, you know, Japanese kind of society for psychotherapy exploration, uh, psychotherapy integration, that people from different orientation, interested in learning from other approaches, Mm. um, you know, get together and talk about it instead of the You know, a single group of cognitive behavioral therapists gathering with other cognitive (laughs) behavior therapists and talking about cognitive behavior therapy, but just, you know, really learning from other approaches. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, that's there. And they just made the academic association, which is great. Okay. But I do, I think that I share more uh, my. I share more common interest with the people from, I don't know, various places or countries. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And uh, I do really enjoy international collaboration, not because it's international, but you're able to, you know, share common interest mm-hmm. learn from each other.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Different way of working, different yeah. way of thinking
0: yeah yeah i think um i think it's really neat that you i i i admire your 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 openness uh for first of all and i think it's really neat that you you love to travel and you learned english and you went to canada and you learned psychology from a western country and then and I know you talked about uh, you felt like angry for a time with the way that you saw Japanese people kind of um, thinking and behaving. and now it, you just more kind of feel sad about it. but i I know that there can be a tendency to um, once you kind of like maybe step outside of a group and you and you and you look at it from outside, you can feel ang- anger about it and want to just stay away from the group, maybe stay in Canada. You say those. A lot of those Japanese people, they're they're close-minded. They're 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 not growing. I don't want to be associated with. But I, so I think that it's neat that you're you're back in Japan and you're working. And I think that you can have a a big influence on Japanese culture and people. And, and uh, I'm excited to see like what what you do. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know. I thank you. I mean, thank you. You know. I mean, I think. You know, first of all. Um, I, you know, I think two academic groups or like association were very, um, you know, important to me. One is called the Society for Psychotherapy Research. Mm. It's called SPR. Huh. People there, you know, really nurture. I mean, have a very good relationship with one another and treat mm. the students uh, in very respectful and nurturing manner and, uh, you know, I love the way people work together internationally and also, you know, SEPI Society for Exploration of Psychotherapy Integration. They are very open and, uh, you know, really trying to learn from one another. You know, I mean like when you say like, you know, me becoming influential, uh-huh. it kind of freezes me, you know, like uh-huh. be uh influential. <laughs> I, I do think that it's good, you know, the you know, I do want to influence and that's why I do what I do. Mm. But I you know, I don't wanna impose anything, but I would like to certainly give um, some kind of something so that people will you know look at things differently
0: yeah yeah
1: use it as a pochinki
0: yeah yeah i like that um okay i think this is a good place to end um
1: great great
0: i want to thank you again very much for for joining me this is i really enjoyed this conversation
1: yeah me too thank you for inviting me (laughs) i really enjoyed talking with you